0: Okay. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here, um, and really good to be here. I'm uh, my name is Jeff Mangum, and I've never been here before, but I have uh, spent a lot of time here in the Woodlands area. My uh, my wife, we've been married 18 and a half years. Do people still say like in a half, or is it that's like I still like I'm 42 and a half years old. I still say that. Um, but uh, she grew up here, and so. Uh, my sister-in-law lives like three blocks from here, so it, this is kind of a second home for us. And we live in Austin, and um, we've got three kiddos. Um, oldest is Paige; she's 13, and so there's a lot, there's a lot happening there uh, at home. Um, quite a few emotions. And then uh, our, our second oldest is Tyler; he's eight and a half, and uh, he's he's quite a bit more calm. And then and then Claire just turned seven uh, this past week, and so. Um, it is good to be be here. I was hoping they could come with me, but um, the whole family in Houston has gone up to Austin to celebrate a week late for my youngest's birthday, so it's just me here in Houston away from everybody else, and so glad I could be with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, go and grab them. We're going to uh, spend some time in Matthew chapter 20, and, um, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 here in just a few moments, and, and the way I, I want us to kind of approach this passage of Scripture... Um, This passage is dealing with a few things that I don't know that we all always would recognize when we're initially reading this passage, and it'll make sense of what I'm saying here in just a few moments, Um, but I want you to have some kind of context um, with maybe some story that kind of puts some flesh on what we're about to read. Um, My two youngest, they're they're close in age, eight and and seven, and and so it means they're they're remarkably close, and it means they, they fight uniquely, and... Um, and they have these uh, competitions that I don't think they would call them competitions, but for sure, a lot of jealousy that rages between the two. And it's all dependent on how much attention they get from me or, or mom or, I don't know, uh, some kind of toy. And so um, at the end of the school year last year, um, I told them, hey, uh, after school, we'll have a great night going to wake up. I'm going to make you a breakfast. It's the one thing I can do. It's not a special skill I have. I read some instructions, like three-step process. I make something. They think I'm amazing. And so I said, hey, I'm going to make something in the morning. They said, well, what are you going to make? I said, I'll make, I'll make some daddy cakes. Now, I, I just want to make sure we're clear on what I'm saying when I say daddy cakes, because it sounds really weird and a little creepy. Um, daddy cakes are only pancakes, but because I'm daddy, they call them daddy cakes. And so they sound really special. They're not. Uh, it's a box, I pour some water in, um, maybe accidentally an egg goes in there, I don't know. And then what makes them unique is that um, they're just way too big, and so I take the, the pan and I pour some oil in there, and and then I pour it to where just it's almost overflowing, and you know if I can get that flip, that means uh, daddy's doing some good things that day. So I make the flip, and then I serve it to them, and it's way too big, it probably weighs 20 pounds more than they do. It is way too big, but they love it, so I said, yeah, I'll make some... I'll make some daddy cakes. And so um, my, my, uh, my boy, he likes to wake up really early and he's the one that you're sleeping and you think you're going to sleep in an extra, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, which for parents, like that is, that's vacation actually is what we call that. And then you kind of get this sense that someone's staring at you very awkwardly. And you're like, I don't know what's happening. And then you notice he's, there's, a, there's a kid staring at you and very creepy. And I uh, said, hey, buddy, um, are you up? He goes, yeah, daddy cakes. I'm like, all right. Thank you. I'm very afraid. So uh, we get up and go to the kitchen. He sits down and he's waiting for me to cook. And I'm taking my time and get some coffee. And I start making this, this this daddy cake. And I know the term daddy cake sounds so weird, but it is what it is. So I make this daddy cake. It's large. I mean, it's, just, it's too much. And so I... Put it on a plate. It's almost overflowing, the plate, almost. There's still a little plate showing. Um, and uh, pour some butter on there, and there's so much syrup that's on the table um, because my wife's not up, so I'm just doing stuff that's destroying things. And I give it to him, and he's, Dad, this looks amazing. I'm like, I'm so glad. He takes a bite and goes, oh, Dad, this is this is the best daddy cake you've ever made, and like his bite was like that big. I'm like, How, can you really gauge that yet? Keep eating, and and he has about seven or eight bites, and he gets to like a, a tenth of the pancake, right? And he goes, Dad, this is amazing. Truly, the best you've ever made. And then he goes, I am stuffed. I'm like, already? Like, I mean, I, that's amazing. Having got done washing the pan out, and you're you're done. He goes, yeah, I'm stuffed. It's so big. It was just the best. Thank you so much, Dad. I'm like, you bet. Uh, don't wake up your sister. She's still sleeping. I'm going to go try to get part two of a nap before one of y'all scares me uh, into waking up. So I go and lay down, and then about 45 minutes later, um, here comes Claire, and her approach is a little different. Somersaults, landing on the face. And so it's like, you want daddy cake? She goes, absolutely. Let's do this. And so going into the kitchen, she sits down, and Tyler is somewhere else at this point in the house. I have no clue. Uh, he's safe, I think, but he's in the other part of the house and I make this daddy cake. Now, uh, I don't know how this happened or exactly what took place, but it's much bigger. And um, it was a successful flip. So I had two that morning, which is really amazing. It's like the Olympics. And I serve it to her and it's over the plate and all the butter, all the syrup. And it's just, it's so big. It's laughable. It's like, this is probably bad stewardship of pancake. And uh, she starts eating. It's like, this is amazing. And this is so big. I'm like, I know. And before I could say anything, um, she turns and she yells out, Tyler, come look how big my, my daddy cake is. And I, I knew what was about to happen. I tried to catch her in the middle of that. It's like, no, just let this be our little, okay, you called him in. And so he comes in, and he's so happy because he just had his nine bites of bliss, and now she's having hers, and there's no school. Things are amazing, Right. And so parents know that summer is sounds great, and then it happens, and you're like, "Ooh, I want school to start again." Like after one day of summer, and he comes in and he goes, "Wow, that is that's huge." I'm like, "Yeah, it's, it's a really big, really big daddy cake." So is yours, also. He goes, "I mean, it's really big. Like, why is it why is it bigger than the mine?" I'm like, "Oh, I just I just I poured it, and I think some like the air pressure. I don't know. It just is bigger." And, and he goes. I don't get it. Like, I'm bigger. Like, I'm, I'm bigger. I eat more. Why did you give her more? I'm like, this is going south fast. And, and before I can say anything else, like, the tears start happening. And it's, it just happens so abruptly. It's like slow motion. Like, I can't, but I can't stop it. And, and he starts crying, and that is not his normal go-to. And then he yells, Dad, it's not, does anyone know what the next word would be? Fair. And um, I'm like, buddy. Uh, here's what I recall about seven or eight minutes ago, because my nap was about two minutes. um, You said, this is the best thing you've ever had. You said, thank you, daddy. You were so good. You're the best dad. You were so happy until you saw what your sister had and then everything has changed and and then he just ran off somewhere. I was like, whatever, I'm going to bed. And I parented later. Uh, I did not parent that morning at all. And it it was really interesting to watch that that is no different than how any of us operate. Uh, Maybe some less tears initially, ours come maybe a little later, but we operate in the same way, certainly with God and in the way we deal with one another. So the way I want us to address Matthew chapter 20 is through two words, okay? Uh, Comparison and contentment, okay? Comparison and contentment, And, and I'll go a little step further. The sin of comparison, all right? And then the grace of contentment. And uh, one of those words sounds like one that we are affiliated with very often in our lives, right? And the other one seems like uh, this sounds like a good thing, but we never seem to embrace, and that is contentment. We're going to look at that for a few moments this morning and see what the Lord might have for us. So let's read uh, what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew chapter 20. I want to teach these just a few verses at a time to make sure we understand kind of what's happening um, because there's a particular way that he's telling this story. And, and the context here is it's the final week of Jesus' life, okay? So there's a lot going on. And the disciples, if you read the Scriptures at all, you know that they uh, they truly are children. And so if you study history on this, these are not 35-, 40-year-old men. Like, as much as we want to believe that they have these huge beards, uh, there's a reason why Jesus keeps calling them uh, Children, uh, they are in true essence anywhere from the age of nine to twenty. Like that's the age of these disciples, and it's going to be more toward the younger. These are not older men, okay? And even in marriage, when it says Peter uh, was married, um, you were married at thirteen or 14. and fourteen. And students, if you're in here, that don't—that's not how we do things anymore. But that—that that there's an age issue you have to think about. When you think about the disciples and how they they were being addressed, and so when you read it, they're making some really foolish choices. Yeah, they're kids, and they're sinners just like us. So they start having this argument with one another about who's going to get what in heaven. So who is going to receive more reward because of their faithfulness or obedience? Who does God seem to love more? Who's impressed Jesus more? And, and it becomes a lot of this infighting that's happening uh, within the disciples, if you've ever noticed that. It's constant. Like Jesus is babysitting more often than not. And so they come to Jesus saying, okay, basically, who, who's going to get more from you? Um, is it me or is it this guy over here or this guy, probably me? And he says, okay, let me answer this by telling you this story. And so he tells this story that's beautifully mysterious, as all of his parables are, um, but it makes some sense to us. Let's start this in verse 1, all right? Verse 1 and 2, and then we'll unpack this a little bit at a time and, and kind of see where this lands for us. He says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, let's just push pause, okay? Okay. Uh, so the story here is that you have this obviously wealthy man, uh, has no limitations on what he can pay. He owns a vineyard. This was uh, Jesus' way of saying very wealthy man, and he had ownership of things, and he goes into the city, in particular, it says, into uh, in the middle of the morning, uh, finding these laborers. Now, uh, you would go into the center of the city, and this would be kind of like a temp agency. So when you walk in early in the morning, there would be men who needed work. And you would find these men who needed work, and then they would go work that day with you. No promise of the next day, just wanted some work. Uh, they are either desperate for money or just uh, desperate to use their hands the way God had made them to be used to work and to find fulfillment, right? So he goes in, and he finds this group of men. And this is at 6 in the morning. This is the first hour there. So 6 in the morning, they always said 6 to 6, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. That's kind of the 12-hour day that you're looking at there. And he hires these men, and he makes an agreement with them. He says, would you like to come work with me? Absolutely. And he agrees on a denarius to pay him that day. So so there's an agreement saying it's a a day's worth of wages. And this is more than typically would be given in a situation like this. He's saying, I agree. I'm going to pay you this. Are you in? And they wholeheartedly, yeah, count us in. Where where do we start working? And they start working. Verse 3. Going out about the third hour, that's 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, now, you go into the vineyard as well, and whatever is right, I will give to you. All right, so you already see a little bit of a difference happening here. The first group, he says, hey, I'm going to pay you a denarius, and they're ecstatic, very generous. This next group, who now is going to work three hours less, he says, I will pay you whatever is right. And at this point, if you're there and and other guys have been hired for the first three hours, you're just hoping, I just need some kind of work. So I'll take what I can get. He goes, trust me. You're just going to trust my character here. I'm going to pay you what is right. And so they start working. Let's keep going. says, verse 5, so they went and going out again at the 6th hour, this would be 12 o'clock, and then the ninth hour, this would be 3 o'clock, he did the same. And then about the 11th hour, this would be 5 o'clock. So remember, the day ends at six. At the 11th hour, he went out and he found others standing there. And he said to them, "Uh, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. All all 11 hours, we've been hanging right here. Uh, No one has hired us. We are not on the front of the line of of wanting to be hired. And he says, all right, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So you've got now, you've got guys who have been working since six. They were agreed a denarius. They know what they're getting. Guys that started working three hours later, nine, they're just trusting the guy is a good guy. Could go south. Who knows? Then 12, these guys start working. The guys found at three o'clock who have three more hours of work left, they start working. And then these guys who might get in one hour of work at this point, uh, they start working. So things seem to be going well. Uh, The vineyard is being taken care of. We're all very thankful for that. And and everyone seems to be pretty happy. Some are uh, sweating more than others. Uh, Can you imagine the guys at 6 a.m. working and seeing these guys come in at 5, 5 5.15, thinking, are they working? Because we bled all day, and these guys look like they're doing just fine. All right, verse 8 and 9. Now, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, his right-hand man, he says, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. All right, so let's make sure we got this down. He agrees with these guys who've worked 12 hours, the very beginning, denarius, going to pay you that. The rest of the crew, all these other hours of workers, he did not promise what they're going to make. Just says, just trust me, I'll pay you what's right. Now, he starts paying these guys who've worked an hour. Like, they haven't even started sweating yet. Like, the the end of the day happened, they're like, already? My bad. Okay, I guess I'll get paid for that. He starts with them, pays them a denarius. Now, let's just kind of put ourselves in these guys' shoes. If you are these guys who've worked one hour and you get a full day's wages, what are you thinking about this job? Best job ever. Like, this is truly the American dream. I'm going to work little and get paid a lot. This sounds like what I'm going to camp out, by this guy's vineyard every day and see if he needs work, but only around 5 o'clock. And so this is great. So then this next group, and the next group, they start getting paid. Here's what it says, verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, right? That makes sense? So they're thinking, all right, we've worked 12 hours. These guys, one hour. They got a whole- denarius? Well, then, if you're these guys, how are you feeling about the situation? At the time, you're thinking, yes, I mean, this is my payday because a denarius for an hour, 12 hours, I can't do my math really well, but it's a lot of denarius. I'm going to get paid a lot of money. This is a big, big opportunity for me. But then notices that everyone's getting paid this denarius, right? It says, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius and on receiving it they grumbled now if you are uh, you have your bible and you're underlining or you do circles around it or whatever you highlight the word you want to underline or highlight is grumbled because that word does not mean what we typically think it means this is where we there's a little bit of a barrier in the way we describe certain words and behaviors than that of uh, in, in Greek and, and even Latin and, and really during this culture, that word grumbled means something else. We'll explain it in a minute. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Verse 12 saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. All right. Now, this is a, this is a big moment for us when, when we encounter Parables. Because you you have to view parables in in a couple different ways. You have to notice each parable, God is teaching us about two different people. Every single parable. Someone who represents the person of Christ. Someone who represents the heart of God. Okay, And then someone who represents showing the heart and the flesh of man. So when you're reading this, if you're anything like me, you're reading this going, these guys have a valid point. They've been working, they've been carrying all the burden, they're, they're exhausted, been away from their families for 12 hours. These guys, who really knows what they were doing the first 11 hours, but they appeared in that 11th hour and now they get a full day's wages. It just doesn't seem, what's that word we're trying to remember? Uh, fair, it just doesn't feel real fair, right? So what we start to do is go, okay, there's something off with how the owner is doing things. So let's go back and remember, God is always showing us Two people, the heart of God and the heart and the flesh of man. Who represents the character and the heart of God in this story? It's not the workers, right? It's the owner. So before we go further, we already have to address some things in us because we're already getting angry for some of these guys going, eh, let's strike. You know, like We think this is about wages. This is not about wages. This is not about uh, how much someone is paid. This has nothing to do with that. This is about something much more robust. And the way we have to enter the rest of the text is the way we have to enter the rest of our life is going, Lord, when things don't immediately seem to make sense to me, I'm going to trust in your character over mine, okay? I'm going to trust in the way you do things over the way I think things should be, okay? That's, that's the posture. It always has to be. That's what a, a worship, worshipful heart and posture always is. Then we have to look at these men going, okay, well, their response is probably not going to be what we would call godly, okay? So let's see how they respond. It says they grumbled at the master of the house. Now, this word grumbled means to embarrass and to shout. So grumble for us is like it's, it's all about how we have learned how to be really fake and good at it. Like we're all really good at it, right? Now, let's be honest. At least let's applaud ourselves for that. We're really good at letting people see certain parts of us. And hiding the rest of us. That's why we can all be in a room like this but feel utterly alone. Because we've learned how to show what and hide the rest. So grumbled for us means, hey, I love, oh, I'm so glad you got that job. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, seems like things are going so well. I don't know why she got that. That doesn't make any sense. That's grumbling, right? Oh, congratulations on the promotion. You're the worst worker I've ever met. You deserve it. Like, that's grumbling. That's not what's happening here. Um, what's happening here is outwardly, in an embarrassing way, as loud and as public as possible, the word grumble means to shout, and this is at the owner. So, grumbling for us is shouting in our own whispers to ourselves about someone. This is shouting at someone. So, it's actually very intimidating. So, if there's a grumbling at, it is getting in someone's face and trying to stir up a bit of a riot, okay? Now, look the way that the owner of the land responds. I love this because now that we start seeing, okay, so he's the good guy. He's, he's Jesus, basically. We start to see his character come out. I love it. Verse 13. But he replied to one of them, and he says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Oh, let's just pause again. I know it's annoying that we keep doing that, but we have to. There's so much happening. Okay, so you have... Fifteen people coming at you, shouting at you, and there's one who's leading the charge, accusing you of horrible character. You're a liar. You're a fake. You used us. You have no good in you. You use people. You manipulate. You just want to use fear. We hate you. We're going to rat you out. Everyone's going to know never to work for you again. Like, that's coming at you. Now, what's your typical, just your typical response to that? When people approach you with hostility, is it typically with a gentle caress? embrace. <laughs> um, just wondering like how on, on social media, on Facebook, what is your typical like all caps? I don't know. How do we respond in that? Um, this is the way that God shows his heart in the midst of being antagonized and yelled at and attempted to be um, uh, embarrassed in front of all these people. The response the owner does, he doesn't address all of them He goes to this first one who's having so many issues. And what does he call him? Friend. I mean, there's so much happening in here um, because in this world where we feel like things are not fair and this and that, God is showing the way he responds to us because then we feel really guilty about, oh, I should have responded that way. He comes at us and he says, hey, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. And he doesn't get everyone and embarrass everyone. He just says, hey, you come here. Come here. I don't want to embarrass you for everybody. I want to show you dignity. He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. He says this, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Right? Isn't that what we agreed on? Like we literally had a big, like a verbal contract, denarius." And then he says, verse 14, take what belongs to you and go. And, and we can read that sometimes like with a lot of attitude. So if that was us, it would be, you know, take what belongs to you and go. But that's not what Jesus is doing here because he's not insecure. And so he is saying, hey, Take what has been given to you and go. Like, hey, friend, enjoy what's been given to you. He says, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what, what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. See, we, we all know verse 16. It's probably like hanging up somewhere like in our kitchen. And, you know, it's what we always say about when someone's in line for food. It's like, hey, the last will be first. But how about the first 15 verses? <laughs> Like, it takes on a whole new kind of weightiness to verse 16, doesn't it? Because what Jesus is doing, he's not trying to, like, throw some kind of, like, trump card on him. You know, throwing something at him like that. He's saying, hey, um, I have given to you out of generosity. Are you mad? And he asks a question. Are you mad because I gave to you what I said I would, and then I just chose to give somebody else? Or are you mad because they seem to have gotten more in your eyes? Like, which one is it? What are you mad at? you mad at me because I'm generous? And that's really what the heart is. Isn't it? The heart, they're so happy until they see what others get, and then they're doing this little sizing up. Well, I know him, and I know the way they do things, and they don't deserve this, and I know what he's going to do with that money, and I know how they squander things. That family there, just so that all they do is gossip, right? And then you think about all these things, like why do they have that? How come we don't have that? Tell me if this rings a bell at all for anyone here, and just you can just blink. Uh, twice uh, uh, to affirm if this is you at all. Uh, I'm going to list a lot of things here, okay? I'm going to cast a, a very large net, and we're just going to see if any of this settles in on any of us, because uh, for me, there's about 23 things that, that settle on me here. Things that we start thinking about ourselves, our family, our situation, like right now. I'm not smart enough. I'm not savvy enough. I'm not perceptive enough. I'm not caring enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not weak enough. I'm not considerate enough or understanding enough or easygoing enough. I'm not happy enough. I'm not confident enough. I'm not thoughtful enough or truthful enough or honest enough or popular enough or important enough. I'm not healthy enough, right? New Year's 2019, we've already squandered. I'm not ambitious enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not academic enough. I'm too emotional. I'm not emotional enough. I get too angry. I don't get angry enough. I'm too stable I am not stable enough. Is there anyone? That's kind of like my thing. I'm too cynical. I'm too pessimistic. I'm too numb. I'm too empty. I'm too angry. I'm too unforgiving. I think I'm too weird. I'm too odd, too strange, too popular, too unpopular, too well-loved, too unloved, too forgotten, too misunderstood, too overweight, too underweight, too loud, too shy, too confident, too insecure, too depressed. I'm too anxious, too relaxed. I'm too intense. Too apathetic, too critical, too closed off, too open, too trusting, too afraid. I'm not as godly as everyone else. I don't understand the Bible as well as others. I don't even care that I don't understand the Bible as well as others. I'll just stop there. So, just I'm just curious. Again, just by the blinking of eyes here. Does any of that settle within any of us? That's how we wake up. That's what our flesh does because our flesh uh, does not want the posture of our heart to be finding our identity in who Jesus has said we are, but we wake up every day with this idea, of this weird kind of ambition of I'm going to earn my identity, and the way I'm going to do that is here is how I see success is in life. And it's all based kind of on your weaknesses and strengths and things that you've been complimented on or things that you don't feel good enough on, things that you've lost, things that you've gotten but not stewarded well. We are an insecure people. I mean, wildly. Insecure. That's why I love this passage because the passage is, is doing all the hard work for us. It's saying, yeah, this is us. So, what starts happening is it becomes very practical in some ways. Maybe here's some, some things that have stood out for some of us. Um, you've wanted children or you wanted more children. And God just has not brought you that child or those children. And that's a painful thing. Between my first, our first kiddo, we had four miscarriages before um, number two and three, and they are miracle babies. I mean, they are, it's always a miracle, but those are true miracle babies. And those few years, three or four years, honestly, some of the darkest, my wife would say some of the darkest for her own heart, and then for me, knowing how to even lead our family in that. Resentment and bitterness. So, hey, yeah, bring over your family with four kids, which is really what I desired, Right now, we have the one. It's great, but we want to give her siblings, but we can't because God has held out on us. You won't say it that way, but that's what starts going on in the heart. Has anyone ever been there? Um, It becomes, I thought I had this job promotion, or I was going to get this job, or I was going to have more flexibility in this job, and it has not turned out that well. But how come they seem so happy with their job, and they're making a little bit more, and I bet it's this, and I bet it's like that. How come? What did I do? They don't deserve that. And it immediately becomes... um, Oh, look what God's given me. Thank you until I see, oh, you gave something to someone else. It's different. Okay. Well, then there's a problem. And, and, and here's the thing about um, comparison. The sin of comparison will rob you of joy 100% of the time. You will never be satisfied and thankful. So if you find that there's a, a natural habitual rhythm in your life where you don't even know how to be thankful and go through a season of going, wow, Lord, you have been so gracious. It's because it's, Lord, need this, satisfy, satisfy, and then bring something to you. And your eyes, like my eyes are wandering eyes, always looking around and we're gauging everybody, right? We're always gauging somebody. It's always like, hey, how's it going? I'm judging you right now, and I'm questioning everything about your life, but I have a smile, so it's all good. And so it becomes things like it can feel silly sometimes on things like a um, there are guys in my neighborhood. I mean, their yards, everything about their house, it just looks like they spend 20 minutes and it looks amazing. In like three hours of me, and I'm like, how did this cord? I don't. I think I cut this cord. I who, I didn't have scissors. How'd this happen? And it takes 10 times longer, more effort. And I'll come in going, finally mow the yard. And my wife's like, that like that was a, I think that was a full 12 hours. I think that you just spent on that. And it's not that big of a yard. I I walk around and. It, As a man, it's crazy. Tell me, can anyone identify with how crazy we all are? I'll take a yard, and then it'll build to a new story about that person. And then like a month later, I've created this unrealistic story about how great of a man and father and husband this guy is. I'm going to look at him. He's so content. I bet he never yells at his kids. Look at the way his wife is looking at him. She's probably like looking at the tree or something. Like, look at the way she stares and gazes at at him. So in love. I saw them hold hands, I think. Um, Their kids, I bet they never talk back. Like, probably never. And maybe if they do, they repent immediately. Like, I'm so sorry, Dad. That was uncalled for. I bet his house is in order. I bet bedtimes. I bet bedtime's amazing. I bet, hey, kids, time to go to bed. You're right, Father. I bet that's how it is. All because I looked at the guy's yard. Does, it, does that resonate at all? We're crazy with that. Now, we'll make unrealistic fiction out of people's lives and spend no time to actually know those things. But then, with us, what, do we, what will we do? We show zero grace. We're remarkably unforgiving. And we are very unthankful. So, all we see is how come my three kids truly, truly are the only three kids on the planet? that roll a bell every night. They rebel at bedtime. I just, just want to fight, fight, fight. That's why when another parent says, mine too, you're like, what? I'm starting a group. You want to be a part of it? Because <laughs> everyone else is great. And you start viewing, I'm a horrible dad. Um, man, my Christmas lights were, I just took them down two days ago. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's, we're going to be flirting with February and I would have had those lights up. Like that's, who does that? No dad does that. And then, man, I think I raised my voice like, Yesterday, like, it was, uh, uh, you know, Christy, and I was just in a bad mood, and then the kids saw it, oh, the guy scarred them for sure, and she doesn't trust me, and I, I don't enjoy work right now, I'm doing this, or I have this going on, I'm not feeling great. I'm the worst. I'm the worst dad, the worst husband, I'm really the worst son, I haven't contacted my mom. We don't call and text like my older brother does, he's perfect, I don't, and I will start attaching everything to my story, and these Unrealistic things to other people's stories. Is this at all making sense? And that's kind of how we view. So what happens with that is something good happens to someone, and you know in your heart you should celebrate it. But your flesh, oof, it's gross. Yeah, it's like I want to celebrate for you, but I'm in the midst of me celebrating. I'm also really lamenting the fact that I did not get that. I'm so happy you had that child. I'm lamenting, I don't. And, and there's, a, there's a really healthy place in that of being able to go, hey, Lord, I've wanted this and I've desired this, but and my heart's broken over this, but I'm going to trust you. Doesn't mean I'm not going to weep, doesn't mean I'm not going to be upset, but I'm going to trust you, I'm going to fight to trust you. But we go to unhealthy places with it. And all of a sudden, uh, we, we find ourselves living these lives so disconnected. And so here's kind of how I just want to finish out our time here. Um, is kind of working through a little bit, just for a few moments. Like, so what does that mean? What do we do with that? Um, this word contentment, we're just going to spend a few minutes on this. Um, contentment, we're afraid of that word because it sounds really boring. The idea of contentment means, so I'm just not going to lack, I'm going to lack any desire for things. I'm just going to be like, things are fine. No, it's, it's contentment is not defined by everything else. Here's actually a definition, if you want to jot this down, kind of a working definition of what uh, contentment is. Um, contentment is the developing. So it's active. It's the developing of a satisfied heart, okay? It's, it's the developing of a satisfied heart. It doesn't mean it's been developed. It means it's the developing. It's a work. It's a messy work in progress. So if you're sitting here and you're going, I, I lack contentment in my life, join the club, okay? It is ongoing. It is a fight. It is messy. I am constantly comparing everything about myself, everything about myself, because somewhere along the way, I just, things just don't seem to satisfy and be enough when I see that someone else has something else or someone else, right? It's where there's husbands and wives going, if I just had, if my wife would just love me more or be kinder or not be so critical, then I would be happy. Isn't that the lie? If my husband would just lead better, whatever that means, there's like 200 things with that. He needs to do all of them. If he, and anytime, we're like, no, I just want to see some, one, one thing. It's not true because you're going to do the next thing. Um, if he would just uh, care more about how I am emotionally, if he would just give himself more to this and we start saying, if this If just this, if only this, then my heart would be satisfied. I want you to know that is a flat-out lie. It doesn't mean those are bad things. It means that will never satisfy you. And so really, it's not about, okay, Lord, these things, if I could have this thing, then I feel like I would be much more satisfied. That is an ongoing um, hunger that will not be quenched and not be satisfied until you get to a place of saying, Lord, my life is a mixture of beauty and disaster. And sometimes I feel like I'm understanding and I'm walking faithfully. And 98% of the time, i am I even a Christian? Lord, please remind me of your grace. Please remind me I was spiritually dead according to uh, the entire Bible, but Ephesians 2. And you pursued me, not because of anything I did, not because of anything they did, but because you're just loving and you breathe life. And I mean, you gave me grace. I don't deserve any of that. And when you start having a posture of seeing grace, as the great gift, you don't start seeing blessings that God gives others as things that were earned by them. It's like, but well, why they, they don't deserve this exactly. Neither do you. But the fact that we even have anything, breath in our lungs, oh God, thank you that you've let me have another day. Why would you do that? I'm crazy, I'm the worst. And you are so kind and gracious to me. So as you give to me, I am thankful, a thankful heart. Battles against cynicism and comparison. I mean, it is an ongoing thing. If that's not a practice in your home, you need to to work toward that, okay? Like, what does it mean just to be thankful? Thankful about what typically we think are the most meaningless things. They are the most meaningful things. God is going to give things to others that makes no sense. There's times I wonder if the angels are like, why do they get all of this? They are a mess, (laughs) right? When they look at us, we are undeserving, grace upon grace upon grace. So what does it mean for us to have contentment? Paul um, says this, and I just want to read this, and then we'll, we'll wind this down, okay? Um, we're not going to unpack this whole passage. I want to read these three verses and, and, um, and just kind of hear this. Philippians four eleven through 13. So we love verse 13. That's like on our every bumper sticker, but there's also 11 and 12 here. Paul says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned, you hear this word, learned. It's ugly. It's training. It's practice. It's a mess. It's a lot of failure along the way, okay? I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That last verse takes this whole other connotation now. And if you know anything about Paul, think about this, like, we always say things like, man, I would have loved to like, be Paul. He, he was blinded by Jesus, like he saw him. And then he, all these miraculous things. Have you ever really read about Paul's life? He, is, he calls himself the chief of sinners for a reason. It's not like some metaphor, like he means it. He's like, no one is a worse sinner than me. Uh, his history is killing Christians. That, that, that was always on his conscience. So no matter how much good work was being done through his life, he was always, yeah, but other people don't have this story. I bet that guy sleeps well at night. I bet that family sleeps well at night. I don't sleep well at night because I keep remembering who I used to be, right? If you go to 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 11 into 12, he starts saying, here's what my life looks like. I've been in danger from rivers three times, which, I mean, I think that's from floods. Um, I've been shipwrecked a few times, which at some point just stopped getting on boats. Um, I have been in danger from uh, friends and enemies. I've been left for the dead after being stoned uh, with rocks. People thought I was dead like five times. I survived. I've been given the lashes, uh, 40 minus 1, so 39 lashes, which is what was given to Jesus before the cross. It's what killed many men because I've endured all these things, not to mention all the anxiety I carry about all the churches, afraid that the enemy is going to, to deceive them and take them away. He is a man who feels tremendous weight and inadequacy. So if you're here going, I'm a mess, My life. I, I'm constantly jealous, I'm constantly comparing myself guess what? Like, it's not just us two. It's also Paul. And he says, the secret of it is not that you just kind of have, like, a great worship time and go, now I'm content. Because contentment has been worked and practiced and failed at year after year after year. And he says, over time, I'm learning. Like, think about that, right? Like when my son asked me, so, like, how... How do you handle this? Well, I'm still learning how to do that. He goes, you're old. Like, I'm 42. That's young. It's like the new 20, but whatever. I'm learning it now. I'm still learning it, son. I don't have it figured out. And I think for us, if it will show this grace toward one another. And we're, we're all in our own ways, these messes that God has given this grace to and, and unique graces in everyone's story that we can come alongside. We don't have to, like, we don't have to have this strange like, comparison thing. We don't have to do that are able to go God you and your wisdom have given them according to what you have chosen is wise and best for their hearts and their lives thank you that you've done that for mine i can trust that you have never held out this is this is the lie that will will always battle until we are face to face we don't have to pray we can just open our eyes and see jesus here's the lie it's the same thing that adam and eve believed in genesis genesis 3 the lie was that jesus that god was holding out on them right so you have the serpent telling them, so he gave you all of this? I said, yeah, he gave us all of this. But not that one thing. And he's definitely holding out on, on you. Like God gives everything to them as a gift in one prohibition. And all they can think about is he's holding out joy from us. He's withholding from me. I knew he was going to do that. That's where we start going, good news. That's not true. Um, he has withheld nothing from you. Everyone, you got to hear this, please. There is not a joy out there that he has forgotten to give you or he is rudely or he's put out by you because we think he's insecure sometimes and he's not. He's not withholding something out of any other reason but out of goodness toward us. That may not always feel good. That may not always make sense, but you can rest in the fact that he went as far as slaughtering his own son so we would have this grace. Who would go up to that dad and say, you've held, held back and showing me how much you love me? No one would do that. He's held nothing back, right? It's good news. So now we can take deep breaths going, Lord, this is going to be a fight. Lord, thank you for reminding me that you have given me everything that I could possibly imagine. And then some, they just all look a little different for all of us, right? So here's what I want to do. I just want us to take a moment and pray. We're going to close our time here and, and I think to be very thoughtful in our prayers, and not about how we articulate them and how many syllables, and none of that. Just th- this heart of gratitude of, Lord, give me a posture in my heart. Of going, even when I'm struggling, even when I'm doubting, oh Lord, would you, would you give me a heart that grips tightly the promises that you are immeasurably good? And your goodness is not based upon if I've been good. You're just faithful, not because I'm faithful or faithless. You're just faithful. I can trust that, yeah? Let's ask him to remind our hearts that this morning. God, we are um, we're fickle, and we are um, slow to recognize these, these wonderful graces that you've given us. And, and we just confess to you that a majority of the way we think is built upon what we don't have and who we aren't five-year plans that weren't accomplished and ideas about our our family and how they would act and look and behave and kind of marriages we thought we'd have and and we're constantly with these wandering eyes finding um, these fictional ideas of perfection in other people. Lord, we, we need our eyes fixed back on you, the author and perfecter of faith. You're the only perfect one only one with all the power. Um, you're the only one that has never had to fake something or give off a false appearance to a group of people so that you would feel secure or better about yourself. You've never, you never had to do that. So, Lord, um, in our own places this morning, we just want to say we're sorry. We hate that we keep going to all these comparisons and We do, we long to be more faithful men and women. We long to be more humble. We long to be a lot of things that the word says we should long for. But Lord, um, since you're patient with us, you're gracious with us, and you're long-suffering with us, would you give us that same patience and forgiveness and long-suffering with ourselves and toward one another, please? Be reminded that you are slowly working the story out in us where you are making us look and live and love more like Jesus. Lord, when um, lack of contentment rages, when comparison and jealousy rages, oh God, would we would we just lay that down? It's all Your Word says we are to do. In The Psalms, You say, You don't want perfection from us. You don't want all these offerings. You just want humility, and You want these hearts that are tender, that just bring our inadequacies to, inadequacies to You. Would You give us that kind of of repentance? Give us um, thankful hearts for the things that we are not accustomed to recognizing you've done. Give us mouths that speak to one another. Thank God he has done this in my life. God, would you give us hearts of gratitude? And would you give us genuineness about celebrating the joys of things that you have chosen to give to others? Make us those kind of people. So we're asking a big task. Feels crushing to us, but we are asking that you would be so gracious to uphold us in that. And so, Lord, as we as we sing to you, we want to sing to you because we know who you are and how you view us and what you've done for us, and we want to celebrate that. We love you in Christ's name.